This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. All right, Taylor, we closed last week's show with the idea that we might open this week's show using that tangent that you had talked about as our chit-chat. But when we got to talking about it, we realized it might actually make a a, a standalone show all by itself. And I I think it's going to be an interesting topic. So this is not really a part two, but it's sort of a follow-up. A branch off. A branch off from the previous show. But before we get to that... Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the audio version of Liar's Paradox. I know I mentioned in a previous show that I was listening and really enjoying it. And I know when you and I have talked in the past, you don't listen to the audio versions. Is that still the case? Still the case. (laughs) And why is that again for people who don't remember that show from four years ago or whenever it was? I just can't stand to hear my own words read back to me. I don't even reread my own work sometimes although it's getting easier now that I feel like I've finally hit the I don't think my writing can improve much more than where it is now I've I've kind of reached that point of diminishing returns I don't mind reading my own words back to hearing it back to me but I don't I still don't think I could hear somebody else's voice doing it oh do you think we should play the sample no please don't Please don't. It'll be a horrible show afterwards because then I'm just going to be all distressed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the narrator for Liar's Paradox is Jennifer O'Donnell. I had never heard her do a book before. I'd never heard her narrate a book before. And as I told you when we mentioned it a few weeks ago, I was initially disappointed that Hillary wasn't doing this series. Um, But I, I understand the reason for doing something completely different. And once I got a chapter or so into it, I just – I loved the performance uh, that Jennifer did with all of these characters. When Last week, we talked about the number of point-of-view characters in this story and all the dialogue and internal dialogue that takes place in the story. That requires a lot of, a lot of work by a narrator to get it all right, keep it all straight, and – keep us locked into the story so that, that we never, nothing is ever offbeat so that we don't get tossed out of the story. And, and she, did a, she did a phenomenal job. I'm, I'm really happy with it. And I will certainly listen to the next one as well when it comes out. I'll read it and listen to it. But I really enjoyed her performance. That, that's great. I have your stamp of approval. That's all I need. <laughs> all right. You don't have to listen to it yourself. And I'm not going to play the sample here, even though we could. I'm not going to play the sample. So let's get to today's topic. Okay, so I don't really know what this is called. It's just sort of an aha to me. You know, um, last week we talked about how I had this struggle between two characters on the page to try and figure out what needed to be said by whom and whatever. And it wasn't until I really fully crawled inside those characters' brains that 
I realized I was using plot to drive the scene instead of character. And then I got it. I understood how those characters would be reacting. And it all went from there. And so the tangent to that is I started thinking about why, why am I having this problem? Like, I know better than this. How did I get to this point after all these years where I let the, you know, I, I, I totally forgot my own advice. I got all wrapped up into trying to make this plot convey. And the thing with this book is I've, this particular book, I've had a lot of um, stops and starts on it. If you've listened to this podcast, uh, even just, you know, several months back, you know that I hit a huge roadblock in 2018 where my life kind of turned upside down and I was writing, but I, I couldn't string to where I couldn't make words come. I, I was my brain was broken, really. Um, I was so overwhelmed with everything. I, I thought I was losing my mind. And so I had like about 100,000 words, but it was 100,000 words of just garbage. And I didn't have a story. I just had snippets and scenes and sequences. And then I, I had to sit down and sort of turn all of that into something of a story and send that horrible, unfinished, unpolished, total stream of consciousness crap to my editor. And that's the last thing that she's seen. <laughs> and I'm laying on my deadline. So that's kind of the condition that, that I'm as I as I move into new scenes, that's what I'm working with is a lot of stream of conscious crap. And what that stream of conscious stuff is, is it's basically outlining in sketching like plot points and, and snippets of character dialogue. And it, it gives me a starting point for the scene, which in some ways is great. And some ways it's not great because it means I've got to figure out how to uh, reconcile all of this stuff and turn it in some of, you know, what needs to go, what needs to stay, you know, and it, it creates this thing. And so that's the position that I'm coming from with this. My, that's my starting point. Is, is a lot of baggage, basically, on, on each scene that I enter. And so, but I'm still sitting there going, you know, I know better than this. How did I get to this point where I'm in the shower when it finally comes to me what I'm doing wrong? And I started thinking back about when I first started writing uh, The Informationist and then The Innocent. You know, I had nothing else going on. That was it. You know, I was a mom at home with my kids. I had to take care of getting them to school and back and, you know, making sure they stayed alive and, you know, all of that. But that was it. I didn't have a newsletter. I didn't have a podcast. I didn't have a Patreon account. I didn't have to do promo. I didn't have social media. I didn't have any of the other things that go on just in the book world. Uh, I That's just the work side of it. I didn't have to do everything on my own. I, I was still married at the time when we first started. And um, it was just, it was a completely different world. And I had so much more time back then. And what I used to do is I'd spend a lot of time walking. I'd go outside and it, not like pace, not like exercise walking, you know, where you're like huffing and puffing, but I would just walk. I would be outdoors. I'd have music on and I would just be listening to music and my mind would wander. And on the days that I wasn't walking, I had a little trampoline in the house and I would jump on that trampoline and listen to music and my mind would wander. And inevitably that wandering mind would turn to the story and I would be thinking through and I would be thinking about characters and, and how those characters were feeling about other characters. And I would sometimes the music would put me in a particular mood where it would I'd be I'd have these like insights and uh, then I'd come in come home and, and I would write 
And, you know, I still struggled with my writing, you know, ADHD and all of that and wasted a lot of time procrastinating. But I did so much of my story thinking off the page. And so by the time I sat down, I knew my characters. I knew my characters for that scene. I, I, I had something I was at least trying to get to in, in terms of what I was writing. And now I don't have time to think about anything. Um, I, it's, my brain is just go, 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 go. When I do stop and exercise, I'm either on the phone talking to somebody because I'm so far behind in catching up with, you know, I, I owe everybody in my life. My family hasn't heard from me for months. You know, I, it's my chance to like, okay, have a free minute. I can take care of this. Or I'm watching a movie or something just to downshift from like, I don't watch movies without jumping on my trampoline or exercising or something at the same time because I don't have time to just sit and watch a movie or a show or anything like that. So when I finally do get to the screen and I have this page in front of me, I haven't had a chance to think about anything. So I'm doing all my thinking on the page, which means a lot of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And no, that's not, why doesn't this work? And all the things that I would have done before elsewhere, I'm now having to do during my writing time. I don't say I have to do, I am ending up doing during my writing time, which makes it a lot more of an excruciating process than it already is. It's never easy, but it just makes it harder. And I've noticed that because I don't really drive that often, I work from home. If I do ever end up out running errands for any stretch of time or this trip that I made to Houston or Austin or whatever to do, book, my brain finally has a chance to unspool and the thoughts start coming and story ideas start coming and I start to have insights. And it's sort of like that walking time used to be. It's the thinking gets to, to happen off the page. And I'm realizing more and more how, it, I'm not going to say like important that is, it is important, but it, you know, I can do it on the page too, but just to not beat myself up over it. You know, of course, writing is harder because I have less time to think about what's actually happening. And I've often told, I've made jokes about how I have, I have great 2020, I'm brilliant in 2020 hindsight. And, uh, but never very fast on my feet in the moment. And writing is a lot like that for me. I need a lot of time to think through things in order to get the nuance, to get the character interaction, to really crawl into the character's heads. And if I'm forced to do that as I'm writing the story, or if I'm forcing myself to do that as I'm writing the story, it's not going to be very productive writing time. So I either need to change my routines and or change my expectations of myself and that is my tangent a few questions we were specifically talking last week about one scene and the tangent was that you felt like what you had just described had impacted the problems or had helped to exacerbate the problems you had with the scene do you think that had to do maybe not so much with just your overall level of busyness in general, but the fact that you were in the middle of book promotion time? So that was like one more thing on top of all the other things? Like, at, at, is there a certain level at which you're okay and you can keep doing this and, and your mind will work along and you can you can keep up and you don't have to do your creative work on the page? 
You know, I don't really know. I think that rather than it being more about, I mean, there's always going to be max breaking point. Obviously, that this last summer, I I hit that and overload beyond. Um, there was no nothing. I there was nothing coming out of me that was anything worthwhile. Um, but in terms of other things going on at the same time, thinking on the page versus off the page, I think a lot of it might also have to play out with what scene the scenes are. You know, how much how much tension and chemistry is required to be on the page at that time versus just getting a person from place to place. I, I honestly really don't know because I haven't totally thought that through. Okay. Now, when you first wrote The Informationist, you were working, if I remember correctly. No, I was home okay. with the kids. I but was you were doing still... other things to make money. Yeah, I would go to garage sales or I was selling Mary Kay cosmetics or things like th- I'm always hustling. Uh-huh. <laughs> Even now, I'm still always hustling. <laughs> um, so there's always something else going on. But it was it was minimal compared to I mean, it, it wasn't a fraction of what it is now. I guess the reason I ask, I, I'm using that question as as a setup because there are lots of people out there that are writing and working. And they're just looking forward to the day where they can become a full-time writer. And all of what you just described in their mind is going to go away. And they're going to be able to spend all the time they want to spend writing. And they'll take this other little sliver of time that they don't devote to their family or their hobbies or their other interests to the business side of writing. And it, it sounds like for you, that's... A fantasy. It, you know, it, it might, everybody's different. You know, I think some of it might have to be, some of it might have to do with how much support an author gets from publishing house. Mm-hmm. Um, the more support you get, the less gets taken off, the more gets taken off you and the less you personally have to do. But so I imagine it's very different for people who are at the very highest top of the food chain in terms of you know, their obligations and stuff. But for everybody else, traditional, indie, it doesn't matter. Um, trying to support your writing business, your writing, like it, it's the, the it's a whole business side of it. Like you, you have to treat your writing as a business. And so there's a lot of hours that go into all of that. And some authors, they maybe can just disappear from social media. They cannot have a mailing list. They cannot do any of those things. And somehow they're successful too. Uh, but I don't know any of them, and I don't know. Maybe they just are have that big of a following that nobody cares. They just want that. Maybe George R. R. Martin, right? It doesn't matter if nobody sees him for ten years mm-hmm. or hears a peep out of him when the next Game of Thrones books comes out. It's going to be a mega bestseller, and that's that. No questions asked. But I'm not that. You know, people if they don't hear from me for a while, they forget that I exist. And if you don't exist, then nobody knows when your book's coming out, nobody buys it, and then you're not writing anymore because you are out on the street and homeless because you can't pay your bills. <laughs> so, so there, you know, with that first book, maybe even the second, it's not as bad. But as it becomes more and more your career, 
you have to focus on it like a career and treat it. And some people do it really well. I, I feel like I do everything very badly, um, where I, I, I'm never able to give anything the full time and focus that it needs, including my writing, or else I wouldn't be as far behind on it as I am. The other thing I noticed, too, is that um, it's pretty rare to have somebody who is a full-time writer, who is also a full-time parent, who doesn't have someone else in their immediate circle subsidizing their work. So most writers have a full-time spouse. If the guy is the writer, or I should just say, if the writer is the full-time breadwinner, then the spouse is usually holding down the fort and taking care of the kids or, you know, running the household or whatever. If the the writer is not the the primary breadwinner, then they will be juggling their writing career with taking care of the household and, and the kids or whatever, but they don't have to panic about whether they make enough money with their writing because there's somebody else who's providing that. Or you find have a situation where the writer might be single, but they don't have kids and they might have a second a second job or something. But it's pretty rare to find a situation like this where you are primary and wholly the breadwinner plus those the only parent and everything. I've never met anyone else in the same position as me. So it's possible that for everyone else, they're just not going to run up as, against as many um, busyness, busy things, busy work issues as I do, simply because of the dynamics. There's there's usually something else out there taking that load off that helps to alleviate some of the crisis. So I don't know that everybody has to look at me and go, oh, my God, it's going to be that bad. All right. <laughs> well, let's usually not. Let's talk about some things. I, I have some questions for you. One of the things that we've all seen online and read in writers' books and on writers' blogs is the importance of writing every day. And what you're describing is a lifestyle where that is impossible for you. Well, I do try to write. Well, it, if not every day, I mean, there will be chunks of time where I just can't. But mm -hmm. Especially now, because I'm so far behind, I have no choice but to write every day, even if it's just to clean up some of the word vomit and try and structure it into the coming chapter so that I know what I'm working on the next time I sit down or whatever. I have no option but to write every day. It's just not maybe on those days, hours and hours and hours of butt and chair. Do you think if... If you could go back in time and have magically said, I am going to write at least two hours a day, nothing is going to stop me from writing two hours a day, do you think that that would have allowed you to keep your creative mind going with the story so that you didn't have to do that creative work while you were actually writing? Or do you think that's just not really related? I think that I would probably still sit there if I, with those two hours and have to right now, the circumstances as they are, I would have to still, I would still be sitting there during those two hours going, all right, I got to do my thinking on the page right now. I wouldn't have had much of a chance to really draw into the characters off the page just as it is right now. So whether it's two hours or eight hours, it's just a matter of, do I get two times work done or eight times work done? 
Okay. I, I know for myself, when I'm writing every day, my mind is in the story. And as I described last week, I'd, I'd been going through this process of editing for on a daily basis and, and really making good progress. And then I hit that stumbling block that I put in there for myself. And it took me two days to get back. And all of a sudden, it, it was like I'm looking at the page and I didn't remember the character. And I didn't remember whether this sounded right for the character's voice. because And that's just 48 hours. And sometimes I go a week without looking at it or two weeks without looking at it. And then... It's impossible for me. I mean, it's essentially I have to go back and reread to figure out what I'm doing. Yeah, that's why I, you know, I've talked about how I don't like doing events. I love doing events and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but I don't because it's not just the few hours that it takes to get there and then doing the event. It's the day, you know, you lose the day before, you lose the day of, then you lose the day after just trying to get back into your work. And that's why I hit just max peak chaos over this summer with with writing was because uh, I never had more than one or two days back to back Mm -hmm. to write and I would be pulled yanked back out of it and then I'd have to basically start over. So what you just described, yeah, 100 percent. And that's one of why I do try and write every day is to at least, you know, or at least be in the story in some way, whether it's editing or writing or whatever, is because once you pull out of it, it's really, really, really hard to get back in. So I guess what we're saying here is is that we're all different, but to a certain extent, there are a lot of similarities as well. I know you've you've worked really hard and you put into place like a different kind of writing schedule when you got really into the crunch. Are you still doing that where it's like late night, um, actually like in bed writing stuff? Well, I'm not in bed anymore like i i had to get out of my body was gonna yeah we did we did talk about the long-term benefits of laying in bed 24 hours a day um (laughs) but i i found what that did teach me is that i'm far more productive on a very late night late morning schedule so like i do have that liberty now that my kids are old enough to get themselves to school and i so I will, I usually go to bed about two o'clock in the morning, sometimes three o'clock in the morning. And then I wake up at like 10 in the morning. And I find that even though that puts me off schedule for the rest of the world in terms of, you know, business hours or whatever, like I'm not even fully alert and awake until noon practically. Um, it, it's more productive for my work in terms of, that's I guess that's just my my body's natural sleep cycle or whatever. And when I let myself do that, I'm far more productive than trying to force myself into a get up at seven o'clock or five or like you get up at three o'clock in the morning. You go to bed. I'm I mean, I go to bed and you're just waking up, basically. Yeah. And um, I, you start working when I go to bed. Yeah, it's it's really weird. But um, I, I just it showed me helped me zero in on my most productive hours. And I, I have. I've found that I have two two sets of them, and one is like right after I wake up, if I can get myself focused in on my work, don't look at anything else. I don't even get I don't even go eat. I don't even go get a drink of water. I just open the computer and go right to work. So my brain, that's the first thing it does is it engages the story. I will have a really good, productive several hours, and then it'll hit a, a it'll drop off. It'll be a low where it's going to be very non-productive. 
for several hours. And then as the evening starts wearing on, it picks back up again and I'll get a second wind. Mm. And that will lead me into whatever it is that I'm going to start up with the next day. I have never been able to even give a serious try to writing in the evening or at night. I just, I just, I don't, it, maybe it's possible that I could pull it off, but it just doesn't seem like it. it's possible. I think that for anybody who has the flexibility that I do, which I am truly grateful for, and maybe we should do a podcast one day on how I am terrified of the day that I actually have to be a real person and go do a real job because I'm <laughs> worthless for it. But anybody who has the the benefit or the, the opportunity to work their own hours, I think the goal is... It would, it's ideal to find your body's own natural rhythm for working and work with that rather than try and force it into some predetermined, societally predetermined idea of what you should be doing. And time is a construct, you know, it's a man-made construct. Time just is. And our bodies will naturally adapt to whatever is around us in, in the way that it wants to. And when we force it to deal with or to, to go along with whatever society has deemed as this is what your body should be doing for some people that really works and for some people it doesn't and i would never recommend somebody like you try and do a schedule like mine why would i want to destroy your life (laughs) (laughs) but i would probably not be very productive on your schedule either unless i switch time zones and then i would be like oh now i will just adapt to the new light cycle of whatever and you know what i'm trying to say so anyway yeah all right so i'm curious what what you guys out there listening uh, what what your writing schedules are um so if you could let us know in the in the fan club group that would be great it would be uh, interesting to get a conversation started about that and have you ever have you ever changed have have you had a prolonged period where you wrote from six in the morning until noon and then switched to writing in the evening or at night me no no oh, our listeners our audience listeners yeah. yes yes i know you change all the time <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think I've ever written at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you probably to, I, have when you stayed up that late. Well, there you go. <laughs> but like I was thinking back to there have been times when I was in the cult still that I would get up at five o'clock in the morning because it was the only time when nobody else was around and I could be awake and be alone. And then I would go to bed at nine um, just to to get away from everybody. And I, I did fine like that. But I was on my own schedule and it was the, the freedom of, of being able to be alone that did it for me. But I don't know that I could do that now anymore with life the way that it is. And not to say that living with young kids is anything like being in a cult, but that was exactly when I started getting up really early in the morning because it was the only quiet time I ever had. Interesting. All right. So that is this week's show. We will be back again next Tuesday. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for being here.